Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Show me around your fruit cakes, yeah, cause I will be your honey bee. Open up your fruit cakes, yeah, where the fruit is sweet as can be. I wanna be your hammer. Why don't you call me by your name? You got it, Troy. You know it. I wanna be yeah your sledgehammer. Woo, God, you know, guys. Okay, I'm just gonna say, Roger, that right there made sitting through this movie. <laughs> when you it. told me the name of what we were watching, I mean, first of all, I was intrigued by the basic description you gave me of one of the first. VHS horror movies to ever be released in 1983. I thought there's a lot of potential there, but you know what else it did? It got the fucking song Sledgehammer stuck in my head. Peter Gabriel, I've been singing it all week, and but I will say this, Troy. I went into this thinking that the theme song for today's episode would be Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. I've got to say, after watching this movie, I have changed that title to the, slow, the song um, Slow Motion by Juvenile. I would say that's the theme song of the week. <laughs> well, we could, Roger. We could sing Sledgehammer in slow motion. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that the fans would be filled. Yes. I like how for your voice it's dropped a complete octave. <laughs> Not only is it in slow motion, but it's like so much lower and deeper. I like it. Oh, but man. yeah, okay. this film, Troy, has more slow motion sequences than any movie I've ever seen in my whole life. I mean, and that's not exaggerating. I'd say roughly 50% of this film is just footage in slow motion. Well, it's it made some artistic choices, didn't it? Not only does it have a lot of slow motion, it has a lot of freeze frames to, as transitions into, another, into next scenes. <laughs> Literally, a majority of this film is transitional footage. <laughs> like, it is just the, the slowest, most drug out sequencing I've ever seen from a movie. And I guess I, I shouldn't be surprised ev- uh, by a film entitled Sledgehammer about a killer who literally just goes around killing people with a sledgehammer. I mean, the movie lives up to its title. I'll say uh, that much. More people in the film get killed by that knife than they do the sledgehammer. Yeah, the sledgehammer is only there for like effect. It could have, ideally, it could have been called Knife. It could have just been called knife, and we would have been straight to the fucking point. But dumb, <laughs> but <laughs> but the sledgehammer is a good uh, visual, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is uh, very one of the very few things you could say about the movie is like a, a, a sledgehammer is kind of intimidating, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, folks. So if you haven't gathered by now, we are reviewing. 
1983, for a while, a long while, Roger, this was a very obscure title. This was one of those titles that I remember like uh, avid 80s slasher fans were trying to get a hold of in the eBay days. Remember the eBay days when you were trying, when you tried? Okay. So this was one of those obscure, really rare films that people would try to get a hold of. And I actually paid almost $50 for a VHS clamshell of this film back in like the late nineties, early two thousands to try to, because I knew it was so obscure. However, it seems to have gotten a sort of a little resurgence of, of popularity in the last year because it's on shutter of all films, of all films ever made Roger, all horror films ever made that shutter could have picked. I, I would just love to be in that meeting when they decided that sledgehammer had to go on shutter. Well, I like how they like, even in the description, they say like one of the great early VHS, like, <laughs> like oh, VHS style exploitation films, or like however they like they describe it. They try to make like VHS sound like I, I don't know, like maybe part of the appeal, but like there is no way to sell filmed on VHS to me as a viewer and, and use it as a selling point. You know, like, that's something, unless it's a movie like The Blair Witch that's using it to play into the story it's telling as, like, a documentary or what have you. If you're trying to make, like, a cinematic film on VHS, I'm sorry, chances are you're losing my interest right off the bat. But I gave it a shot. You know, I said, you know what, I'm going to look, try to look past my criticisms and critiques and go into this thinking, hey, good for these fuckers that they thought, I'm talented enough that people watching this will see past the VHS quality and see the real treasure inside the story that's being told. Unfortunately, I think these people went in with very high like opinions of themselves because this movie is exactly what you signed up for. It's a goddamn VHS movie called Sledgehammer and it it met my expectations and my expectations were extremely low. But you know what, Troy, I got to say, I want to go in with a few positive comments just to throw them out there real quick. I got a lot of issues. And all those issues aside, I will say I feel watching this that this cast had to, had to have had a blast making this film. I mean, like, there are so many scenes where they're forced to just improvise for 10 minutes of footage, like, just improvising. And, like, you could tell, like, they were, I think, making the most of the experience for themselves. I believe they had a really good time. And that translates for me. I mean, that that carries me through some of these sequences that are otherwise literally just painful to watch well yeah they had a great time they can't act worth a shit but at least they they had a great time being behind the camera you know but i want i want to stop and just say guys if you have not seen this film before listening to this review please i beg of you (laughs) watch it because you may not believe what we talk about actually really happens but it's it's on Shutter. It's on Shutter. It's on YouTube. Give it a watch. We don't want to spoil it for you. God forbid we spoil Sledgehammer for you. Well, and guys, just to give you an idea, like you're going to think we're exaggerating. Yeah, exactly. That's what. And I'm you're saying. then you're going to go watch it, and it's actually going to defy your expectations of just how fucking bad this movie really is. Think of like the room, what the room did for drama. <laughs> Like, you know, the movie The Room with Tommy Wiseau? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say this is kind of like, to me, a horror movie equivalent. Like, if you stumble upon this fucking gem 
God, it's awful, but you can't take your eyes off of it. You can't stop watching it. Yeah. So we'll, we're going to get right into it. But of course, we're going to we're going to hype up the Patreon again. Hey, right. Every week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Guys, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast. If you want bonus content each month, we have three uh, extra bonus episodes a month on our Patreon. So check it out. The link's in the show notes. But we are going to. I guess, get right into Sledgehammer. I mean, I don't really want to leave the fucking listeners waiting. I mean, they deserve to know (laughs) of this film. They deserve to know. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, shot on VHS. One of the first, if not, I think the first, the claim is it's the first shot on V, shot on video slasher film in the eight to make it to like video stores from the 80s. And right away, it's very apparent that this is a shot on video. Oh yes, <laughs> affair. It 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 looks super cheap, right down to the opening title card that we get that says Sledgehammer. Uh, I'm assuming they thought it was stylistic. I couldn't tell what it was supposed to be. It looks like Sledgehammer is spelled out in either dog shit or rocks. Yeah, if you could decipher the title card, it does in fact say. <laughs> sledgehammer uh as blood drips down it it looks like chocolate syrup and suddenly this it, it it like the title explodes you don't see the hammer or anything i'm sure the hammer was involved but it was just shot horribly but the, the title suddenly just explodes and it freeze frames and that's a trope that you're gonna find is runs rampant through this movie oh. the freeze frames are everywhere i mean oh, man <laughs> i've never again i've never seen this many freeze frames in a movie but you know what more power to them an unexpected decision. I will also say what as soon as I saw the name Nicholas Imaz presents in that white like like literally like it looks like somebody typed it on the VHS camera. Like like, like it just I was like, all right, let's go. The the font yeah, the font the opening font for the cast and crew is very just as generic as you can get. It literally is they probably used it use the video camera to type in. It's so just, it's cheap looking. We also have to mention the director and star of the film is none other than Roger. You know, we've talked about doing the film, the killer workout, killer workout, aerobicide. Oh my God. Yeah. They are the same person. You told me this last week. You did. I didn't know this until you told me this. It is one Ted Pryor. What a star. What a star. Um, (laughs) He wrote this, he directed this, he wrote uh, Killer Workout, a.k.a. Robicide, and several other just, I guess, corny action-slash-horror films from the 80s. But he, yeah, he's in it. He's Chuck, yeah. Is he, pl- he plays Chuck? He's Chuck? I mean, listen, we could criticize, criticize and critique Chuck all we want. I'm sorry, we could criticize and critique Nicholas, I'm, uh, no, that's, who's the director? Ted Pryor, Chuck. Okay, so Nicholas Amaz, I'm assuming... He's just some random person that gave him the 50 bucks to before to gotcha. film. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the guy that plays Chuck, uh-huh. let's just put it out there. For every negative thing I have to say about this movie, this guy's body is what gets me through it. Oh, my God. Because this man's upper torso is so tight, even in this grainy ass, like, low-quality VHS tape. He still manages to look fucking fantastic. So, you know, I can get down on him in the sense of the films he makes, but that man's looking fucking good. Well, he lets us know it because he's shirtless in virtually every scene of the movie for no reason other than to be shirtless. 
Yeah, I'm not going to complain about it. No, but then we get the we get the opening, you know, credits with the cast while this the score of this film folks literally was probably done on a child's Casio keyboard. And it's just odd because during the opening credits when we get the cast name, they have like this they have the background images of like the cast of in various scenes of the film, but it's already hard enough to see what's going on in the film because of it's a VHS quality or it was shot on video quality, but they, they tint these images in like a dark Brown. So you can barely tell what they are. And it's just like these images of the cast and, and scenes through the movie scrolling as the names the actors' names and crew names are displayed. It was just very odd to me. Yeah, it's like they had footage that they're using from later in the film, but to kind of hide it, they tried to like drown it in like filters and effects or or like artistic like overlays, and it just looks very awkward. Um, but nothing about this film doesn't look awkward. Is the thing like? Let us be clear: you are not sitting down for a, a piece of. Well-crafted cinema. You are sitting down for some of the cheapest schlock I've ever seen in my life. The fact they got it done, though, like, I can't fucking believe this. They got it out there. Good for them. Good for Chuck, uh, whatever his name is. (laughs) Because I'm baffled. I cannot believe that this movie saw the light of day. Speaking of light of day, the first shot of the movie... movie Oh, the first shot of the movie is the longest shot, single shot of a house. I I was literally, Roger, looking at my watch. I'm like, how? Okay, I get it. It's a house. This image is on on? the screen for at least 30 seconds. No, like like literally 30 seconds of a a single shot is an irrationally long period of time. And can we can we also mention, I'm going to get to this too as we talk about when we get, but this... This house is ugly as fuck. There's nothing visually appealing about it. And it's it. the only location you get. There's nothing visually there is nothing visually appealing about this entire movie which we're going to get to, but like right away it's like this house in the middle of nowhere. It, it looks abandoned. Yeah, we're going to get there because the aesthetic of this film is just bland as what aesthetic exactly <laughs> say white walls they it's do like, they just... yeah they do nothing to try to give it any visual flair and it's 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 apparent right from the beginning i do have a note here i have a note here troy i just want to say um <laughs> these credits look the way i imagine having i imagine having a stroke looks like it's <laughs> <laughs> like it's like you can't you can't even see like it's kind of shapes of things but yeah they're like submerged in like brown like shit water over the camera it's so fucking oh my god but yeah okay let's get to the actual movie we're not even through the credits yet already oh my god after 30 30 45 seconds of just frozen image still on this house we finally zoom into the upstairs window where we meet mother this mother in a, in a nighty basically forcing her child to get into a closet as he, as he barely, he, he's like protesting, but like barely this this kid is like, no, 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 not the closet. And the mother is over. She's like, get your fucking ass in that closet. And And he's like, no, no, not the closet. Troy, well, right, okay, so from right off the bat, one of the things you notice about this film 
is that this director was really loose on like scripted dialogue. <laughs> like I'd say a majority of the scenes are people like just aggressively uh, improving o- over top each other. <laughs> like it, it, it creates for some really like big choices <laughs> over the course of the film. But right off the bat, you've got this like dr- this dramatic scene between this mother who is definitely over. Like she is chewing on all the scenery. She's running with it. And this kid, who's, I think, terrified to be on camera. Um, <laughs> and she's like, yeah, she's like demanding he gets in this closet. And this kid's like, I ain't getting in no closet. Like, <laughs> he, he's like kind of being stern with her, but he's like, I ain't getting in no closet. He's like fighting her with like like a meek old man. Like there, he's not like getting aggressive or anything. He just like kind of like obeys. But um oh my god it's like they really like they give it one shot there's no like it doesn't cut to any angles it's not like there's any texture to the footage it's like one shot and (laughs) like already right away she gets him in the closet and like within seconds of the film's beginning we're already onto our first slow motion sequence of this woman bolting this door yes the slow motion of her pushing him in the closet and slowly locking the closet and walking away. And you can't really <laughs> tell because is, is the kid like pounding on the closet? You can't really tell because there's like this loud, the loud score is, 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 is playing is swelled up, and, but it just stays focused on the closet door for several seconds. And I'm, I couldn't <laughs> hear if like, is the kid supposed to be like pounding, trying to get out? Is that why we're just looking at this closet door for several seconds i don't know this whole thing with the score i just want to acknowledge that the there are two variations of score in this film there are ill-fitting slow like mournful flute ballads and they're like like light airy like instrumentals and then there is one single low ominous tone that you hear over the course of all scenes that have any form of suspense suspense or like drama or anything like even remotely scary you get one single tone and it's like dun like and anything can be happening and like the mother locks like she bolts the door and it's like dun and it like reverbs and like it lingers like they just linger on these shots i think they're trying to build suspense but I don't think they know how to build suspense. I think they're just kind of winging it. It's a bold choice. We cut back to the mom downstairs. She goes downstairs to have her lover who is sitting on the couch. And she's first thing she says to him is she's, am I sexy enough for you? And she does a little twirl. (laughs) Oh my God. This dame is, she is all about this five minutes of fame. Let me tell you. The quality of this footage is, it's so bad that like from a distance, you can't make out the features in people's faces. Like if the shot, if the, if they're like at least at the other side of the room, their face is just like a blur. So any shot of anybody is not flattering them to begin with, let alone like in the flat lighting. Like there is nothing at all artistic about any of this whatsoever so this woman comes out and she's like am i sexy and like no you're wearing like a uh, like a fucking like house robe like you look so freaking like frumpy and there is nothing sexy to you whatsoever you're very confident with this man oh and he, but he's acting like she he's like oh you're hot 
he gets up and is he wearing a dress? He's wearing a, I can't tell. He's wearing a robe, right? Yeah, he's wearing like a house robe. Yeah, they're both like, she's in like what it looks like, I don't know, like a nightgown. And it's not a sexy nightgown, but okay. And then he's in like, yeah, like a gentleman's like, I don't know, like something you wear in your study. Uh, (laughs) And they begin to like express like their desire for one another. And like, thank God that their dialogue also covers like all of this random exposition about like <laughs> they're talking about how they're like 50 miles from the nearest telephone. Like they managed to fit all of this dialogue in that doesn't fit the scene at all, but informs the viewer of like the current situation. <laughs> yeah. He's like, where's the kid? She's like, don't you worry about the kid. I took care of that little bastard. I know. Why does she hate her kid so much? It's never, never really explained. explained. Yeah. 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 But they start making out and it, really starts to look like it is going to it's it's a scene from a 70s porn she starts going down on him like licking his stomach and you can tell she's about ready to give him a blow job when all of a sudden we see the wall behind him a shadow of a hand holding a sledgehammer and what's it do it freezes freezes and then for no reason other than to cut back to her like pleasuring him and all of a sudden, he is hit in the back of the head with this sledgehammer. I mean, it's ob- it's obviously a mannequin head. Well, we get several different angles of it. Like we get, you know, the side angle where you can just t- totally tell that the killer, whoever it was, just tapped his head with the sledgehammer and he's acting like it really hit him. But yeah, she, then you're getting that full on hit where we see like the sledgehammer bust in, into the skull of this thing and blood come out. But it is so obviously a dummy. The head of this thing is about a half the size of a human head. <laughs> it, it has no neck. It's like a head that is like set on. There's like a pouch of like of like ground chuck in like in this fake like bust of this head with a wig over it. And you can tell they did like one take to do it. And it still manages to be the best effect in the movie. So like, let's be clear. If you're coming into this thinking, well, okay, it's low budget. It's filmed like shit. At least the gore is going to be good. No, no, let's be clear. This is the, this is the big to do. Everything else is downhill from here. But so you see like the innards, like the brain matter, like come out of the back of the head at least. Yeah. And then the mother backs up in slow motion And it's pleading for her life that there's no sound. It's just her making like facial expressions. Like she's pleading for her life in the most unconvincing way possible. Because at times it looked like she's about ready to bust up laughing until she is hammered to death. We don't see it. We just see the shadow of the, the sledgehammer raise and go down on her as some blood splatters on the wall. Very lame. Yeah, you could tell that somebody was standing by with like a like a spritzer bottle filled with fake blood, and they're like, "Okay, go!" And like, you just see like a little bit of the blood like splattering against the wall. It's really like not at all effective. And that's that's it. That's the opening scene. However, here in a little bit, we get treated to the whole thing all over again in a flashback. <laughs> yeah, but we yeah we we cut to ten years later, and a van full of who ends up being our cast pulls up in front of the house and they get out and we are treated to another long scene of just these random people unloading this van and it goes on forever. They're taking everything out. They're goofing around with each other. We, we don't really get to 
necessarily know any of them. It's just a bunch of random people. And some, I'm sorry, some of these people are the most unattractive people I've ever seen in a film. Don't get me started on fucking Joni. I was going to say Joni. But like, let's, let's just be clear. This, you can tell the director like let the cameras roll and just said improv away. And they just rolled the camera one take and they let these fuckers like throw the, the, the doors open on this van and just like, start screaming at each other. People are shrieking and cackling and laughing and everyone's saying shit. You can't understand anything anybody's saying. They're blaring music. It's all one shot. It's like a, a it's like a fucking clown car, Troy. It's like people are just <laughs> Well, yeah. It is and it's you know what's even more fun is just you know, I watch this a couple obviously I, I even this piece of shit I watched more than once, but you know, the second time I was watching it, I just kind of like I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on one person. You know, the whole time, this whole scene, I just want to focus on one person. So I focused on the blonde. What's her name? Carol. 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 I just felt, and you can tell she has no idea what the fuck she's doing. She doesn't know what she's supposed to be doing. (laughs) You know, these people, then we get, we get, okay, so we get Carol. There's way too many J names. Let's be clear. There's J, there's Johnny, uh, Johnny, Joey, Johnny, Joey, and Joni. And Jim. And Jim. Right. (laughs) And uh, and Jim and <laughs> Joni. Oh God, Good that's God. a brown bag her to go, man. Like she is a rough looking gal. <laughs> so Jimmy has his sensible mullet. Oh, you know what? I gotta say, man. Hair issues aside, I actually find Jimmy strangely attractive. Well, okay. Yeah, come on. We all got a type. Well, well, we'll get there, Roger. And then we get okay, so we got and then we get Johnny, who's like the big burly dude. Daddy can get it too. He doesn't look bad. His girlfriend Mary, um, another homely broad who serves no pur- no purpose. Well, either to does story. either Sorry. does Joey. This poor kid, he literally has one line in the entire movie. And then we get Chuck, who has his shirt off for. No reason. At all times. At all times. He has his shirt off. And they once they get the van unloaded, <laughs> again, there is a they, they they have a driver that brought him there. Oh yeah. And he has a whole line to give you more exposition. He says, Don't worry about your van. I'll have that transition shifted gears better than a woman on her honeymoon <laughs> night. And he drives away. And like so to me, I'm like, okay, well the, the van is down. So I'm assuming to me it seems these people are only staying at this location because they have no choice uh, because the van is acting up. Like, that's all you're given. You're not given anything else going into this. Everybody seems fine. Everyone's happy. People look very cheerful. It seems like they're coming to this location with not a qualm in the world. But I, yeah, I, w- I was trying to figure out why they, they came <laughs> to this particular house. Yeah. Yeah. And like, honestly, well, they they have to know about Chuck. Chuck knows about this house. Yes, so, but the, you don't even know that until you get to the scene about halfway in the movie, which discloses that. Yeah, so I don't know. I have a note here, Troy. I just have to say it. First time viewing it, I have a note that literally says, "If Jody turns out to be the fucking final girl, I swear to God." like right off the bat i fucking hated joni right off the fucking bat i couldn't stand her yeah i do okay i i don't bless her heart i don't know how she got the role not only is she annoying and can't act her way out of a paper bag she's homely i'm sorry but i'm not being but there it, it, it it makes a difference because chuck 
is not a bad looking guy. You know, he's built, he has the rocking body. I do not in a million years buy that he is with this fucking dumpy Joni. Well, and then there's this whole side story that Chuck and Joni are together, but Chuck had proposed to Joni and now he's like not ready and no fucking duh to me. Like he proposed to her maybe like when they were 15 and now Chuck looks like he's like fucking carved out of marble and built to fuck. And he's got, he's telling stories about later on how he's got chicks throwing themselves at him and everything. Like, of course you fucking do. You look like a Greek God and you're dating this girl who looks <laughs> like, like a human armpit. Like she looks, she looks the way I imagine an armpit would look if they had a personality. Like she's just so blase. And I'm not trying to be critical of anybody here, but come on, Jody, with her bad hair. All she does is whine. She's such a fucking like, at least if she was homely with a good personality, I'd be like, you know what? I get it. Like, this makes sense. Like, she's fine. But no, this, she is a, the wettest blanket. She's always bitching about something. And I'm like, God damn it. No wonder Chuck is questioning things. You're not doing yourself any favors, homely Joni. Uh, okay. I'm glad. Okay. I'm just going to put it out there right now because I'm glad you said questioning things because. <sighs> I feel like there's some homosexual undertones oh. in this film. Well, when we talk about Jim. Between, I was going to say between Chuck and Jim, mm-hmm. because both of them are very much played to have issues being intimate with their girl that they're with. Now, Joni, I can understand. I wouldn't touch that bitch with your dick, Roger. <laughs> However, Carol is actually very beautiful actress that plays care yeah so so, but jimmy does acts like like he acts like her vagina is gonna like disintegrate him he doesn't want anything to do it he doesn't want to touch her and there's just like some weird little bantering between chuck and jimmy throughout the film and i'm wondering is there supposed to be like some homosexual undertones like are we supposed to like buy that that's why these these particular two guys don't really act like they're into their women and throw Joey, little Joey into this picture who is, I'm sorry, Nellier than me, you, every fucking gay podcast host out there. Did you get that vibe too? I got, to me, I got a Goldilocks and the three bears vibe where the three guys were railing. Joey, <laughs> Joey's the young one. Is he the? He's, yeah, he's the, the one. He's that, the Twinkie. Like he's, he's the twink. He's the one he's that's the taking it. And it's uh, other than that, it's the three bears because you got John, big ginger daddy bear. You got Jim, and you got fuck. You got Chuck. Like t- these boys are built to be in a gay porn together. Like it looks so down to the camera work. Like it really at one point in this movie, it looks like it was all just an elaborate buildup to a huge gay porn. That's how this movie feels. Uh, And that gay, like homoerotic undertone carries through the whole movie, especially with the character of Jim who looks straight off a hall notes, like album cover. (laughs) Like he's so gay. (laughs) Yeah. And guys, I know, you know, you, you might be thinking, Oh yeah, you guys are, you guys are two homos. Of course you're going to read into, you know, and try to make everything gay. But I don't think that's the case here. I think it's pretty, if you're paying attention, I think it's pretty blatant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's just, I don't think it's okay. I don't think it's reaching because we are gay, Roger. I think it's 
<laughs> and well, anytime sexual, anytime anything sexual happens in this movie, it's a discussion happening between like the men. Uh, aside, like from when Carol is trying to be sexual with Jim, he's so resistant about it. But then there's that whole conversation, and like we'll get to it later, where the men are all talking about like their sexcapades, and it's so like revved up and like they're like fake jacking off soda bottles and everything yeah and it's just like it feels very gay and not just because i'm like a gay dude and i look for that like this was like right in my face and i was like whoa that feels fucking gay so yeah i'm on the same page i do want to point out that there is a transitional moment here in the midst of all of this bantering going on between Joni, who's hawking (laughs) cawing at her boyfriend uh, bitching about this and that. It's it, like in a moment of trying to comfort her, <laughs> Chuck like takes her on a stroll across the lawn and it's all, it's all in slow motion. And it's like the entire length of a music track. We get a single shot, slow motion walking sequence of the couple. Like <laughs> at one point he like grabs her by the back of her hair and like violently pulls her hair back it's all supposed to be like flirtatious it's all like playing around and then he like takes his can and like tries to rest it on top of her head and they're like (laughs) laughing and it's all in slow motion but like it is so awkward the amount of chemistry between these two it's like watching paint dry there is no chemistry between this couple no i was gonna say yeah for they were like they're going to give us like, oh, well, don't get the gay vibes yet because here we go. Here goes Chuck and Joni on their romantic stroll through the <laughs> fields. It's like a half of the film, this walk. <laughs> and it's, you know, there's like this 70s made for TV soundtrack playing over it. And like he's pointing to shit and like grabbing her. And it it is slow motion. And of course he has his shirt off. Yeah, it's so fucking weird. But it does transition into uh, this living room scene where they're drinking and basically just dancing awkwardly, uh, getting drunk. John guzzles a beer and crushes the beer can and tears it in half and like licks licks Mary who's sitting next to him. Jimmy takes a big old swig from a whiskey bottle and falls over in the chair. Um, And this is when... See, this is what I'm talking about. I think this film was very aware of the gay vibes because there's a scene where Jimmy says something. What does he say to John? And John takes, puts a hat on and starts acting like he's gay. Oh, yeah. You want a real man? You can ride side saddle on my horsey any day, schnookums. Yeah, it's it's so weird and flirtatious. So they pretend to kiss. The men have so much more, like energy with each other than when they then when they're with the women when the guys are together or when they're interacting together it's all like jokes and fun and when they're with their girlfriends it's like yeah it's super gay it 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 reads very homoerotic um i'm sure part of it's the time but i also think another aspect of it is like i don't know i i'd be curious to see if the director behind this film was like a homosexual because he's always fucking shirtless he's always worried about how he's looking and the way that the storyline is written, it's like there's definitely some aspect of the characters who are wanting to avoid sexuality with their significant others, the women. Well, he went on to do a robicide killer workout. So I think that, that an- movie was gay. That answers yeah. your question. I think I don't. Yeah. I do want to also point out there's a point where John was walking around the house leading up to this, where he went out to the shed 
and he did find the sledgehammer. And it does freeze frame on like a, a motion shot that's extremely out of focus. <laughs> like, but it's like we did find the sledgehammer. It is here. Oh, I didn't know what that was. I because I couldn't I couldn't see what it was. I know I knew he pulled something out of, but I couldn't tell what it was. So I guess it was the sledgehammer. Okay, that's how that's how out of focus the film is. So Joni takes Chuck out of the room. And of course, this is where we get more of their backstory that I could give a shit less about where she's like, you promised to marry me. We've been together for two years and now you don't want me. I'm like, bitch, have you looked in a mirror? I mean, put some makeup on, do your hair, do something. And he's like, I still want you, but I don't know if I want to marry you. And his words are, I'm all mixed up. Hmm. That's because you're gay. That's because you're gay, Chuck. I'm all mixed up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Joni does have quite a beard quality to her. She definitely looks like the kind of chick you would date if you're a closeted gay man. And then the next scene, he's outside playing his guitar, shirtless. I think it's hilarious because you can totally tell he's not playing the guitar, but they're playing guitar music like it's coming from the guitar. Oh, yeah, it's definitely not him playing that guitar. But music. it doesn't match anything he's doing. But he is shirtless, and that is all that matters. He is shirtless. But, of course, Joni has to come and ruin it. Her homely ass has to come and sit next to him wearing, the, wearing these god-awful shorts and this god-awful po- top with giant polka dots on it. Oh, my God, yeah. Everything about her is not great, from her hair to her wardrobe to her personality to her acting abilities. Like, they, I feel like they really kind of just said, well, fuck, fuck Joni. Let's worry about everybody else in this film, but she can afford to be the one that's truly unlikable because they do her absolutely no favors. She's Well, she's watching them. We The camera cuts up to the random, the randomly to the upstairs window. And I'm, I couldn't tell if we were supposed to be seeing something in the window. I have the exact same I, it note. just We just stared at the window for a few seconds. I couldn't see anything because the quality is so bad. But hey, n- nice shot of the upstairs window again. I'm glad, they, I'm glad they utilized all the footage that they got of the upstairs window. Now, Roger, we get the dinner scene. Oh, my God. Probably the most impressive thing about this movie is the fact that on a dare... Um, John does manage to eat an entire sandwich. Oh, in one I'm bite. sure. I am sure that's not the first thing he shoved a hole into his mouth. He eats an entire deli sandwich in one fucking bite. It is. It is impressive. They bet him five bucks. Yeah, and he once he's done, he like he like jokingly throws a little bit of it on Joni, and it gets in her hair. And she's like, "Oh my god, why would you do that?" And oh my god, Joni. And Chuck is like, "Oh, what? What's the matter, Joni?" What are you missing? Some mustard? And he like pours mustard all over her head. Troy, this is what I'm talking about. And this happened also with the scene with them drunk too. We have these moments where it's really like, they just go off script and they for like, you know, two, three minutes at a time, these actors are allowed to just like live their wildest fantasies on camera. Like the scene before this, when they were all drunk, you know, the director's direction was, you guys, you're drunk, and I want to see you really drunk. Now go! And, like, and everybody's trying to outdo each other. People are talking over each other. This is this is literally they set the camera on a tripod at the end of this table, 
And yeah, his direction was, okay, guys, we're going to just get in a big old food fight. Let's, let's see how it pans out. And that's exactly what they do. And you can tell it was one take. They had to make the best of, you know, the, the food that they had and, and how they used it because after fucking Joni gets the mustard dumped on her, she picks up a, a pie and throws it in his face. Oh my God. These people are wasting food left and right. And it's, it's shameful. That's a whole pie. She wastes a whole pie on him. A whole pie. But yeah, but you could tell like her throw, her aim was way off. It could have been done away way better. That's what I'm saying. You, you can tell it was one take. They didn't do two takes. They had one pie. They're like, we're making the fucking best of it. Throw it however it goes because it doesn't even hit it. It like hits the side of his head. It doesn't even hit his face. Uh, and then they just go on this big old food fight. And I want to know where they filmed this because they just, the cleanup after this scene had to have been something. Oh my God. Imagine being the only PA that worked on this movie and just being like, this is going to be a really long night. Uh, because yeah, it's, it's wasteful. The amount of food that they use in this sequence, uh, bottles of mustard are put to waste. Uh, and there's one point where Carol is like trying to get everyone's attention and she sa- she has a line where she's like, okay, everybody, now come on. And like nobody listens because they're also like caught up in the moment and being obnoxious. And she's like, come on. Okay, everybody, come on. Like she says the same line like two or three times. Like, because, like, you know, she's trying to give a cue and nobody's listening. But since they only did it, obviously, one time, they just run with it. They just use the shot. After the food fight, we do get the girls. And then look at the characters in this film are so just underdeveloped. There's not a lot of moments you get with the characters like by themselves or, you know, away from the group. So I, I guess this scene is a little bit welcomed because you're, you're, you're getting some personality, even though let's be honest, none of these girls have personality except Carol and none of them can act. Well, I mean, there's, you got Joni, Mary, and Carol. And so Carol, she kind of has this whole side thing with this whole like romantic pursuit of Jim, which is is strange and gay in its own right. Uh, and then you've got Joni who like, yes, she's extremely annoying, but she has this like whole storyline of being upset that even though she's been proposed to, like now her you know fiance doesn't necessarily want to get married. And like while she's very annoying about it, and I still support Chuck by default because she's so annoying. Like, I still get it. Like, okay, that is a, that's an emotional journey. Like, that's a character arc. But then there's Mary, who literally, like, the only, only storyline she has throughout the course of the movie is that she's annoyed by her boyfriend. Like, that is it. She has no further explanation. Yeah, because they're in the bedroom talking. And again, these girls cannot act, especially Joni. You can totally tell. I mean, it sounds like she's just reading lines from her, from a cue card. She's like, can you believe that, Chuck? He dumped mayonnaise on my head. And I could have killed him right then and there. The The line delivery is so bad. And then, yeah. Because it's all so improv too at certain points, Troy, like, you know, there's moments where you can tell they're just not giving any dialogue and they're just doing things willy nilly. They're trying to think of what to say next. Yeah. Yeah. Then at other points it's scripted. And like, because these actors are so wooden, the contrast is so 
glaringly obvious between the improv scenes and the scripted scenes. Like it just feels so jarring. Uh, and you can really see like the actors like struggling to get through some of their lines at times. So yeah. So Joni's complaining about fucking Chuck. Carol's complaining about not getting dick. Mary's complaining about John being a jokester to the point where he wear he wears a mask. And Carol's like, he wears a mask to bed. How does he kiss you then? And she's like, oh, he doesn't wear it on his head. So see where he's putting a mask on his penis. Is that the insinuation? I don't understand how that works. I, I don't know. I guess I'd be curious to find out. Hey, Big John, come over and show me your mask. Well, And while these girls are having this like blasé dialogue with like, you know, very like awkward delivery, not feeling very natural. The guys are off like in the kitchen with sexual tension. Exactly. Up to the fucking ceiling. And did I hear this right? I want to know because I listened to it three times. I'm like, am I hearing this right? Yes. The guys are revved up. The guys have way more. The guys are for the most part, better actors than the girls. Yeah. That's not saying much, but they also have more personality and you're right. They have more energy. The, when you're with the girls, it's just blase, very bland, but the guys do try to bring some energy to the, to their characters, to the film, especially Chuck. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I might have heard, I might have misinterpreted this, but this is what I got. Okay, Chuck is all wound up. He's talk. The guys are all talking about sex, and Chuck's like, "Oh my god!" The other day, I was on the road, and this girl in in a Ferrari pulled up next to me, and she was fucking hot, and she had big old tits. And he's like, "I didn't even get a boner. I got a throbber." Oh, he says that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, no, but then he says something about I had to take it out and beat it. Yeah, and he's, he, he, he's like, like jacking he, off the soda it, bottle at this point. He like made the motion like like he came, and then he's like, and it felt really good. So did he just tell these two his male friends that he jerked off? Yeah, not only that, Troy, but they're like all around him, like yeah, yeah. It's like in Greece where it's like, tell me more, tell me more. Did you get very far? Yeah, he fucking jacked off in his car and shot his okay. load all over. That's what I thought. That's I was like, am I hearing this right? I get he's and the guys are. You're right. They're all like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, dude, yeah, fuck yeah, man. Oh yeah, it felt good, didn't it? He's like, yeah, it felt good. I'm like, oh, boy. I, I, this literally like feels like such a lead into it, like a segue to a gay porn at this point. That's the scene I'm talking about. Like, you literally expect him to stand up and take his dick out, and they're like, wow, man, that's huge. Wow, can we touch it? Like, that is what it feels like. Hey, hey, no, here we go. Hey, man, that's like a sledgehammer. (laughs) Be a sledgehammer. For real, in this scene, absolutely. You can can pound me with that, Chuck. And I'd watch it, is the thing. These guys are looking Oh, I would, too. We're making our whole gay porn as we go, Roger. Let's remake. Hey, you want to remake Sledgehammer as a gay porn? It would like, probably okay. sell better. <laughs> we, could we get it on Shutter? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so that that's that. We cut to the blonde girl. We Carol. She's going to take a shower. Why is she brushing her hair before she takes a shower? She's like, well, so it doesn't tangle. She's walking down the hallway, brushing her hair. She sees a sledgehammer leaning up against the wall. In one of the bedrooms. Ominous. Dun, dun, dun. She got, gives it a dirty look. This is where we have to mention. Because now we've seen a lot of this house. Right? This is the least visually appealing house in film history. There are no pictures on any walls. No color. 
It's literally an empty house with white walls, long, bland hallways. It's something that I've, you know, I just had to throw that in there because I know this is low budget filmmaking. I understand that. But you also have to be cognizant of like your audience and how visually appealing what you are framing is for them. You know, when I was making my films, I, we had a shoestring budget. Trust me. Trust me. When I made all three of my films, you know, that budget was non-existent, but we did everything we could to make wherever we were, the location look visual appealing, whether it was adding color to the walls, pictures, things, objects in the background to give it some, to give the frame some depth. You don't get any of that here. They didn't even try. And it makes for such a bland viewing experience. Yeah. And and not only that, but like one of the fallback tropes of this film is like at certain transitional points, they will flash through the different rooms of the house. And every time they, like they'll show like the living room, the stairwell, the kitchen, where could he be? And like, it's always the same shots. And there's just these flat, bland, like shots of like empty white rooms with nothing in it. And it makes it so like anticlimactic. Oh my God. It's so bland. Well, and it's I think so bland. It, be- it is very bland. And I think it becomes apparent that they filmed in two different locations mm. because it doesn't really, a lot of the times the, the layout doesn't match what, what was going on in a previous scene. Did you get that? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So they, she goes into the shower to take a shower. She opens the shower curtain and Joey twink. Joey is hanging from the shower head uh, with a noose around his neck. And then he just like opens his eyes and goes, boo. I like here that she's like, boo. (laughs) Like, are you fucking kidding me? And then he's like, I didn't know what else to say. It's a, it's a joke. It's actually a cute kind of a cute moment for the characters. Uh, but like, (laughs) I did not expect it. Like, how did this happen? Like, where do you get this fake blood? Yeah, we, we don't know anything about Joey. So is he supposed to be like the jokester? I mean, we don't get a lot from him. I think he is because he does help out Chuck later on with that prank as well. And then at one point you see him unscrewing a fuse box and I have no idea like where that was supposed to go, if I maybe missed something, but I think he's kind of like, yeah, kind of like the jokester. Like, okay, if that's what they're going to used to describe this character like that's all we really have to go off of um there is this moment between him and jim though that happened just just before the shower sequence and just to give the listeners like an idea of the dialogue that we're experiencing the scripted dialogue jim has just got done with the food fight and he's about to go shower and he turns to the corner and uh joe walks up behind him and says where are you going we gotta clean up our mess and jim says i'm going to shower and Joe says, hey, we got to clean up our mess. <laughs> and Jim says, okay, let's go. And then they like cross and Joe goes to go up the steps. And Jim says, hey, where are you going? And J- Joe says, to clean up. And, and Jim's like, okay. And then they just go off their separate directions. I'm like, wait, what just happened here? Did did Joe just... Go to shower. Like, is he saying he's going to shower? Didn't he just tell Jim not to shower because they've got to clean up their mess? I'm very fucking confused. Yeah, I didn't get it. I, I guess my interpretation was Joey was trying to get out of having to help clean. I, That's as much as I got. Yeah, but it, it's horribly written. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, then, but after the after the the shower scene where he scares her, it cuts 
to a scene, but it's a scene with her in it. See, there's no time transition, you know, so you don't get a sense of any time has passed. It just cuts from her being scared in the shower. It cuts to another scene, but she's in it now. She's fully dressed. She runs into Jim and asks him what's wrong. She's like, what's been wrong with you? And he's like, nothing, nothing's wrong with me. I'm okay. And he walks away. Yeah. Jim is definitely gay and Carol absolutely senses it. And that is in my mind, that is their fucking storyline. Like whether or not the director intended it, that is absolutely what comes through. Jim is so hesitant. That's all, all of their interactions, every interaction over the course of the whole movie is like hesitancy. Well, and as we see here in a little bit, he has no idea how to actually have sex with a woman either. We do get another long shot of the house. It's at and this time it's a, it's a, a day night. for yeah. night. Yep. And it's long. <laughs> and then we go back inside and now the group is inside listening to her, to her records. Chuck stops the record and announces that he would like to have a seance. Yeah. He says, now we're going to have some real fun. And the group says, hey, an orgy. All right. That's what we've been waiting for. And I believe that these gay, these gay ass men have been waiting for an excuse to start touching up on each other because they just just pulsing from every pore with these fuckers. We transition into Chuck, a close up of Chuck's face illuminated by a candle as he's dramatically telling the story of the murder that happened in the opening scene, complete with an entire flashback of the opening scene, even though, Roger, we just saw it 20 minutes ago. Oh my God. When this happened, I literally put my hands on either side of my face and I just went, what is happening? I got to give, yeah, I got to give it to to Chuck, the actor, Ted, Ted, he's trying to give it his all. His, his eyebrows are going full force. His, uh, why he has his eyes, his wild eyes wide open. He's really trying to get into the, the story here, but there are all these little things he says, like, he's like, they left here in bags and make no mistake. There was very little left of them. The bodies had been pounded to a pulp with a sledgehammer. And we get the group all they'll get a scan of the group all like looking scared. This is the shot they used in the opening credits. If you did, you notice that it's the exact same shot. It is the exact, but with covered with brown shit water filter. We get Joey though, who is just a shot of Joey and his eyes are darting back and forth to everybody. It's mischievously. Is that, is that what it is to me? It looks like he was having a fucking stroke. Well, I mean, there's a, a lot of things stroke-esque about this movie. Um, I got a few things with this scene in the sense that, first of all, it, apparently Chuck is aware of the murders that happened here. I didn't even know that. I thought they were stranded at this house that they weren't familiar with. So at this point, the plot has evolved in ways I didn't anticipate. Uh, I just thought they were waiting for that repairman, uh, honestly. That, when it leads to the flashback between the mother and the child screaming about he ain't going into that fucking closet... It's the whole, like, it is literally, Troy wasn't exaggerating, listeners, is literally the whole scene repeated just with a sepia tint. It's the exact same scene. We even get the slow, ma- the slow motion bolt sequence again. We get all of it. All of it. The pushing on the door. Like, they just play the whole scene for you again. And then it'll, like, it'll cut back to Chuck and he'll tell, like, more of the story. Who, I mean, I have to even say that the fact that out of all the people in this, like, group, Chuck's the one that's like, let's have a seance. Like, okay, meathead. 
you look like you've been pumping iron all fucking day. I don't believe you give a fuck about seances. So it's just a weird choice to begin with. But then he has this big monologue sequence. And the fact that he's the director makes sense because it's very like Chuck oriented. Chuck centric. It's very Chuck centric. What I want to know, okay, I'm going to address this now. What I want to know is, are we to assume, Roger, that the kid from the beginning is the one who killed his mother and her lover, right? Yes. Okay, so please explain to me how an eight-year-old kid has enough strength to pound a full-grown adults <laughs> to, to where there, there's nothing left of them but crunched bones. With a anger, sledgehammer. maybe? Intense Did anger? you see the kid, though? The kid, the sledgehammer was taller than the kid. Well, the kid comes back into play. And I know. Say, and the that, sledgehammer is taller than the fucking kid. Maybe, if the, and I'm not even a huge fan of this, but maybe if this was the child from, like, Rob Zombie's Halloween remake, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. He beat that kid to death with a stick. Like, okay, I'll buy it. Give him a sledgehammer. He can do a lot of damage. This child is... A little twerp. He, well, he is just like emotionless. He just stands with a blank facial expression. Thank God they put that mask on him because, you know, like this kid cannot exude any emotion whatsoever. And they try to bring him back into play later and it does not work <laughs> <It's>, at <laughs> all. I'm just saying it right now. But um, so the bodies have been crushed, pounded to a pulp. By an eight-year-old. Their bones had been pounded over and over again by a madman with a sledgehammer. Until all that was left was a matted heap of mangled flesh and shattered bones. And then they show the romancing scene between the partners as well, like the lovers. You get that whole scene with reverb. We get that fucking dummy again. We get all of it. We get all of it. Uh, the, the the film gets really serious really fast, by the way. Like, Chuck is so invested in this big speech. We're treated to the tripod shots all up through the house as the spirit apparently enters the house, like, you know, it's settling in and everyone's fucking buying it. And then meanwhile, we're seeing that Joe has snuck to like the next room over and he's playing all of this audio out, out of a, what is a cutting edge boom box, uh, which everyone is uh, convinced is actually just the sounds of spirits filling the house. I'm sorry, a boom box, that is not great audio. I, you wouldn't have me thinking, oh, this is real. Like these people are fucking <laughs> idiots. They're fucking morons. And if they're falling for this goddamn... Closeted homosexual and his shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, John, John is, John is totally well, because he's the it. big pansy gay. <laughs> he's the one that the, the voice. Yeah. Because, okay. So Chuck does, he commands his spirits to rise. And yeah, Joey is upstairs playing the, the music on the boom box. And then he starts playing the voice saying, how dare you command me? And just everything that Chuck asks, obviously this was very well planned because the boom box gives a response and finally the voice is like i want to reveal the truth to john john stand up we want to drink your blood and yeah the whole the whole group thinks this is real and the thing that really baffles me is like everything aside it's clearly the voice of 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 uh chuck or it's either chuck or joe it's one of them but listen troy you know me if you were listening to this and you heard me like i want to drink your blood you'd be like roger that's your very gay voice like it's very obviously you and i'd be like that's not me i'm in the room no like like it's pretty fucking obvious it's just a recorded voice talking back they didn't even put like any effect over it so like these people are fucking morons and they deserve what happens to them speaking of i want to bring this up 
again, because I know it's a low budget film, but this, they have absolutely, <laughs> there are no Foley effects in this film at all. Okay. Because there is a scene we cut to when, when Chuck is telling the story, we get a scene of like Joey upstairs putting the boom box and he's like clapping and, and, and slamming down, snapping it, but you don't hear any of it because they did not take the time to put these Foley effects. And that happens throughout the entire film. There are scenes like when a character will slam something down on a table, but you don't hear it. Yeah. This whole thing with Joe, like when he's, he starts playing the boombox and he's like pounding the floor and everything out of excitement because he's like, we got him. Oh, we got him. Like, and there's absolutely no like audio to t- add texture to the scene. There's no like sounds of like pounding on the carpet or clapping like he's clapping his hands together. There's nothing. It, it's so weird. Okay. So as they're doing this, the killer comes in behind Joey and... Does he use a sledgehammer, Roger? Dude, you know what? I'm going to call false advertising right now. This first kill does not in any way, shape, or form involve a sledgehammer. And for that, I'm enraged. I am pissed off. It is false advertising. It's a knife that he drives through Joey's neck. I mean, it's a very basic effect. I did notice that in the credits that a company called blood and guts did the special effects for this film. And I would just like to say, I hopefully they're not in business anymore, but if they are, I hope they either improved or changed their name because there is nothing blood or guts about any of the effects in this film. I could Roger, we could pull these effects off easily, easily. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, there's, at least with the next stab, like, there's a good amount of blood, but, like, the kills only get progressively lamer and lamer. Like, you could tell they were running out of steam because, it, like, he's holding the knife in his throat and he's using both hands to make sure, like, it stays in place. Like, that's that's the quality we're talking about. Yeah, and then you kind of, you do get, I mean, a scene of him pulling Joey's body away by the knife through his neck. I guess that was kind of, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to, you gotta, I gotta take what they give me. And that was, I guess, pretty cool looking. Okay, another, so after poor Joey's killed, another long shot of the house. Yeah, I mean, this is like the fifth one at this point. And we cut back inside. John is kissing all over Mary, and she's, you know, not having any of it because he's like licking her and shit. She's like, eh, you're gross. Jim is making fun of John for being so scared. And now there is a, you know, testosterone-fueled, moment where John gets up and grabs Jimmy. He's like, dude, you better quit making fun of me. And Chuck tells them it was just a joke. And they really act like they had no idea that it was a joke. They really thought it was real. They're like, what? Oh, they're, they're shocked. (laughs) They're shocked and appalled that he would ever play such a convincing joke on them. Nobody though, seems to care about the fact that Joe is just completely MIA. And we do get a cut to, now, we thought that the, the shot of the house was overused. Now we get another kind of transitional shot that is overused from this point forward. It's a shot of the killer's feet just walking down this hallway. Oh, not just that, Troy. It's a dissolve of like, it starts with the empty hall and the feet like fade in and appear as though to imply that this killer is in fact a ghost. This is what I'm assuming. To, my, to what I am gathering... 
After having viewed this movie, this killer is apparently a ghost. Though he doesn't really like play by any ghostly rules, at times he is in fact a solid entity of sorts that you can wound and injure, but sometimes he just, he fades in. Sometimes he just dissolves into shock. And sometimes sometimes he dissolves into an eight-year-old kid. Yeah, it's real loose. The rules here are fucking loose. Let's be clear. Yeah. So the group is playing some games. The blonde, this bitch, just, she just wants some Jimmy dick. I mean, I get it. I like that. I mean, yeah. Fucking, that pencil mustache. And I, when he gets stripped down here in a minute like he ain't looking bad i'm gonna say it i mean her she needs that she she so she's like doing everything she can she's like hey let's go upstairs he's like nah i'm good (laughs) and she's like we can even we don't have to do anything we can just go upstairs and talk he's like we can talk here he is totally uninterested in this girl and she's pretty she's a hot looking girl this is not like it's Joni or this is she's pretty she's a looker he wants nothing to do with her finally she's like well if you're not going to go upstairs with me i'm just going to take my top off in front of everybody and embarrass you i'm like i would have been like bitch that ain't embarrassing me that's embarrassing you that's called desperation but she actually he he actually agrees then to go upstairs with her probably roger because he doesn't want to see her tits he's like "Ugh, no don't take your top off okay i'll go upstairs with you well, either way, it's not like he has much of a choice because he's basically forced into having sex with this woman. <laughs> yeah, so they go upstairs. Chuck goes into the room where Joey was, and he now finds blood on the floor. Um, so he gets concerned that there's blood on the floor and there's just <laughs> nice, I use that term loosely, nice transition to a, it's a freeze frame on his concerned face. He gets a couple zoom-ins and a couple freeze frames that are really, like, staggering. Like, they're very, like, what just happened here? And this is one of those moments that, like, whoa, that was uncomfortable. Um, So he finds this blood on the boombox. Of course, Joni comes in. She's like, what's that? (laughs) And he's like, it's blood. She's like, oh, it's blood. (laughs) Instantly, like, bitching, you know, complaining. Like, oh, sure, I really am going to believe you. Uh, Meanwhile... This leads into the moment in the bedroom where Carol is laying on the bed. And this is, if if there's any moment where you are, I would say, kind of, the the director had to be like winking at the audience being like, okay, we know you know this guy's a fucking homosexual. And here's the proof. It's this awkward sex scene where he just lays like a board of wood atop this woman. And she it's not even like her legs are open or up. Like she's just she they look like two loaves of bread, like placed atop of each other, like awkwardly kissing, like smashing faces. There is a comforter very like strategically placed off her over his buttocks. Uh, which is a shame because he looks like he has a cute little can. But he's just laying there, and it's like it's like Carol. My God, Jim is gay, Carol. Look at this sex scene. Is this passion, Carol? Is this what you've been wanting? My God, we all know he's gay. Everyone knows it, Carol. And now you're living it. So. Well, he he's not even. Yeah, her, her legs are like stiff. He is laying 
And he's not even, you know how, okay, I, I'm gay, but I, 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 at least Roger, at least I know how to hump properly. You know what I mean? I know, I know the yeah. motion. I know the correct motion you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go in and out, thrust back and forth. This guy is going side to side. You see his little butt moving side to side. I'm like, what are you doing? Are you rubbing your penis against the mattress? Because this is not, you're not going in and out of anything doing that motion, buddy. I, even they I look know. like two salmon placed <laughs> atop each other. And they're just like, they're like pulsing with their last like gasps of, as for life as they like slowly like <laughs> die. Like they are so sad and not sensual. There's absolutely no sensuality to this sequence. What? So ever. It's awful. It's awful. And the sheets don't even get me started on these fucking sheets that don't match on this bed. As if the sex scene wasn't bad enough, then the whole the bedroom is so ugly. No gay man would ever want to make love in that bedroom. <sighs> Luckily, though, the killer comes in and puts these two out of their misery. You know, for, puts <laughs> Jimmy. Jimmy gets put out of his misery for ha- being forced to have sex with a woman. She gets put out of her misery for having probably the worst sex of her life. Yeah, but only after like a very strenuous extended slow motion sequence. There's more slow motion. It's like panning up their legs and bodies. It just keeps going. And then Troy, I gotta say, for this kill scene. Like the ki- the killer walks. <laughs> Let me walk you through it, listeners. Uh, yeah. t- tune up, tune in. Uh, so the killer walks in, and <laughs> they're both in bed. They're just laying there. Carol looks over and she starts to like react. You know, scream. He grabs her by the head. A breast falls out. <laughs> we get an areola. The straight men rejoice. The few of them watching this, and then she gets her head apparently like. Her neck snapped. All in all in slow motion, by the way. This is one single shot all in slow motion. Then, like, the killer steps back to reveal Jim, who is, like, in the midst of sitting up with an expression of just, like, oh, thank God you killed her. Like, he is just emotionless. He's like, oh, my God, that bitch was so annoying. Like, you can see it all over his face. And... The, the killer then swings the hammer at Jim's chest and you can literally see Jim's face like concentrating like, okay, when the hammer hits me in the chest, I got to fall backwards because his face is not expressing fear. It's not expressing anger. It's not expressing anything. It's so stone faced. It's so uncomfortable. So the hammer makes contact with his chest and then it unusually dissolves into a reveal of him now with the wound on his chest from a different angle, slowly and like strategically falling back into the placement the director instructed him to land in. And Troy, I just sat watching the scene with my jaw. I gave, I was like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? This is the best you fucking got this out of, this is the best you got. Jesus Christ. It is so bad. It's awkward. It's awkward. And they, that's all I can say is awkward. Awkward. It doesn't flow at all. It's edited horribly. And it looked like Jimmy was sleeping while she was being strangled or was he just laying there? He didn't do anything to help her. That's what I'm saying is he just kind of sits up. He's like, oh, well, she's <laughs> she's dead. Oh, darn. I'm just going to sneak out of here. Like, Yeah, it's very, very, 
very poorly done. Meanwhile, let's also acknowledge Joni has stumbled upon the body of Joe. And she's like, oh, my God. Like, Joni, as the moment shit starts to hit the fan, Joni becomes useless. (laughs) Yeah, she finds his dead body. Of course, uh, Chuck shows up and he's like, oh, come on, we got to go. He instructs her. He's like, you go upstairs and get Jimmy and Carol. Well, your girlfriend just found a dead body and you're going to let her <laughs> t- tell her to go upstairs by herself. <laughs> this waif of a woman is incapable of defending herself. And you, <laughs> Mr. Shirtless Magoo over here, whose body looks like it's literally been whittled <laughs> yeah, out of wood. Like- you're going to send her up there to to. Do the brunt work? Come on, man. He's really trying to get her killed. She, well, she walks in right as um, the killer had just hit uh, Jimmy in the chest with the hammer. And do we now say the killer is wearing a mask now? It's a transparent mask that I guess to me is reminiscent of like the one in Alice, Sweet Alice, right? That same transparent yeah, sort of. They cut the bottom off of it. Yeah. Like, uh, the, the killer, now that we're seeing him clearly, I just... there's. I feel that the filmmakers who are making this movie, literally this is how I think they came about making the film. I feel that they knew themselves a very tall man, like a man who is so tall that it's actually, it's uncomfortable. And they said to themselves, they said, that's enough to carry a film. And that, and that's the, that man is the killer in this. This man is very fucking tall. At times he's so tall. It is unpleasant to look at. He is, he has very long arms. He looks very like he's got like a just this hulking Sasquatch esque sta- uh, like stature to him that does actually make for a rather like foreboding silhouette just because he's so fucking massive. However, it is not enough to carry the film. Whoever this actor is moves very awkwardly. I don't know. Anyway, so while Joni's running around upstairs, Chuck goes down to to tell John and Mary, but he but he's like, I don't I don't know how the guys to tell you this, but they're dead. <laughs> it's so I mean, these people have literally no ability to show emotion. You know, things are like amping up and none of them can be bothered to try to act like this is even a problem, right? And that's very evident when John goes upstairs because, okay, so uh, Frumpy, what's her name? Joni. She goes, she sees the killer um, kill Jimmy and Carol. She runs out of the hallway. The killer chases her. She has like this dramatic slow motion fall where she's screaming and he raises the sledgehammer and swings it down and she rolls out of the way and then she gets up and all of a sudden it's back to normal motion and she runs into the group and she's like, Oh my God, they're dead. So John goes up to the room where Carol and Jimmy are and he walks in and he sees these two dead bodies on the bed and Roger, his response is literally Jesus Christ. He starts like, preparing them for burial <laughs> he like he, he like places their arms like he crosses them over their bodies it's very very much like not the response i would think a person would actually have upon discovering a body it's the opposite of what i would do in this situation but i mean it seems rather thoughtful of the deceased 
Um, we did not acknowledge Jody's Jody having what is, I would say, one of the worst chase sequences I have ever witnessed on camera. Ever. She has this whole like slow motion. I mean, here we are slow motion chasing where she gets chased down a hallway and she like, she's like looking back over her shoulder and she like trips over the carpet and the killer is like walking after her. And it is, it's, there's so many moments in this film that should take like maybe three seconds. And instead they are stretched into three minutes and it is just, it is difficult. It's difficult to watch, man. It seems so amateur, which I mean, this is, but like, my God, Oh, and then she turns a corner and runs into everybody, you know, and, and the killer's nowhere to be seen. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, she falls on the ground and he, he swings a sledgehammer and he she rolls out of the way just in time. Yeah, but her journey from end of the hall to end of the hall is because of this slow motion trope. It is just like unnecessarily long. I don't understand why they do it so much. Do they have that little footage that everything just had to be? Slow down. <laughs> oh, it's all the chase scenes are in slow motion though. As we, as we get to the ending here, all the chase scenes. Yeah. But no, John, his, his reaction is totally very nonchalant. Yeah. He's just like, he sees him. He's like, Jesus Christ. He put, he puts Jimmy back up on the bed, puts him, puts the covers over him, makes him nice and comfortable. Uh, and he goes down to the group and he's like, they're dead. I mean, well, he does find the sledgehammer, right? So he gets the sledgehammer. He goes back down and then he proceeds to like show the group the sledgehammer and he says the fucking madman he used this to tear them to pieces i'm like dude neither one of them were torn to pieces people are dead but nobody has been dismembered at this point Co- carol was perfectly fine she had her neck broken and jimmy had a wound on his chest that does not equate to being torn to pieces but whatever Chuck and John start to argue about what they're going to do. I kind of have to side with John. He wants to get the fuck out of there or at least like go and find this fucking person and fight and then get the fuck out of there. Chuck just wants to like sit, sit back and just, Oh, we just sit here. We can't leave. We're not going to leave. We're just going to sit here. I'm like, why do you not get the fuck out of the house? Your friends are dead. Everyone wants to leave except Chuck. John is becoming argumentative and like borderline abusive towards Mary, by the way, like the way he starts talking to her. Yeah. He's like, go fuck yourself. I mean, without saying go fuck yourself. Um, and, and Chuck does like intervene with reason. Uh, like, you know, he, he does step in and try to like deescalate, but like, unfortunately, Joni is emotionally unstable at this point. And as they finally start to like plan, like, okay, what's the next step? She has like an emotional outburst that only slows everything down. Like these people are planning is for survival. And she's sitting here like losing her fucking mind, screaming and wailing, drawing the killer's attention towards. Yeah. And Chuck's like, no, honey, we got to stay here. And Chuck's like, we got to find that bastard and we got to take care of him. And Chuck's like, damn right we do. And we get another freeze frame of his face. Yeah, and it, yeah, it like zooms in on him. It's very strange. So John is keeping watch while all the others are asleep. They sure fell asleep quick for finding their friends dead and being all concerned about this killer. All three of them, John, uh, Chuck, Mary, and Joan, are all passed out on the couch. So John wakes up and he doesn't have the sledgehammer anymore. It's not in his hand because we just got a shot before he wakes up. There is a shot of the killer. Again, in the hallway with the sledgehammer, his feet 
dissolving in. So he goes to the kitchen and gets a knife and he leaves to go upstairs, back upstairs to, I guess, hunt the killer. And we now we get flashbacks of Chuck telling the story from earlier. While upstairs, John sees a little boy now with the sledgehammer um, go into one of the rooms. So as he approaches the room, somehow he's magically transported inside the room. This came out of fucking nowhere. This is when the film takes a very weird, supernatural, like hard supernatural turn. Because there's trans, there's transporting, there is like ghosts, there are just, well, let's get there. He gets transported into the room and it's, we find out it's the room that the little boy's closet is in the closet that his mom locked him in. Cause we get a very slow scene of John opening this closet fucking door. I don't know what it is about this closet door, Roger, that has to be open so fucking slow. Well, I think right now we really need to precursor it for the, the people who are listening, who for some reason have not seen this movie. If we haven't made it clear or emphasized it enough for you, our listeners, the volume of slow motion scenes used in this movie is, I would say, borderline offensive. It is, I mean, especially towards this fucking end of the movie. Oh my God. Every other shot is literally slow motion. And if it's not slow motion, it's a fucking flashback. Because this whole time, as all of this is unfolding, you're getting overlays and cuts to Chuck reminiscing and going through his whole story spiel again. You're getting all of it. All of it. It's so drawn out. And the only score over all of these moments is that goddamn like pulsing, trying to like create suspense. It's very awkward. Yeah, so once he finally opens the closet door, what he finds inside is a skull, which is obviously a... Very horribly I was going to say, obviously a plastic Party City skull, and some blood. And he gets all freaked out, and he backs out of the closet and turns around, and all of a sudden, (sighs) there are two random dead bodies there at a sitting at a desk that wasn't there a minute ago. Well, I mean, it's Jim and Carol just dressed in sensible day wear. Is it Jim and Carol? I think it's Jim and Carol, but they're wearing How, like, the why, clothing. But why are that they the wearing... family wore? Oh God, Roger. I know, but you. I mean, she's in that fucking nightgown, that pink goddamn nightgown, and he's in what appears to be the robe. So the there's. How'd they get in there? And how'd the desk get in there? Magic, I guess. I don't, because that's a thing here now. There was apparently spiritual shenanigans going on because of that goddamn seance. Oh, and there's a five-pointed star on the wall now, too. And that's it. Like, they, they're like, here, a five-pointed star. That's all we're going to give you. Go off of that. And he notices that, the, I guess, Jim, the one of the bodies, has a newspaper article in his hand. So he open. Why? Who knows? But he does. So John takes the newspaper article and opens it. And it's an article about the mother and her lover being murdered. And it's like mother and lover murdered son still missing. And that's why I think they're wearing the clothing is because they're recreating the mother and lover murdered. It's like they're 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 being placed in their places to like channel it. I'm really going out on a limb here, by the way. But why are they sitting at us? Why are they sitting at a desk? I don't know, Troy. Why are we asking these questions? It's fucking, <laughs> it's goddamn sledgehammer. Anyway, so John figures out it was the kid. He's like, it was the kid. It was the kid all along. 
Uh, and the killer appears magically in the room with the sledgehammer and attacks him in slow motion. Slow motion. This scene is, I mean, I, I feel the scenes are getting progressively slower, by the way. Like every time it cuts to slow motion, it's like they slowed it down a little bit more. You literally see this entire like battle between John and the killer play out as they like struggle for the sledgehammer and John manages to stab the killer, but like is injured in the process. And it, it is just so drawn out. You're just sitting there with like your hand, like just running down the side of your face. Just like, what is going on? Why is it so slow? Yeah, but he does get, he does stab the killer in the gut with a knife trying to get up. And the group comes upstairs because apparently they maybe hear all the commotion. And as they go down the hallway, John comes out of the room and he's like walking weird. And they're like, John, John, what's the matter? And all of a sudden he falls face first onto the floor. And he, we see that he's been stabbed in the back with a knife. Oh my God. To which Chuck gets another one of his very dramatic line deliveries. And he says, you bastard, you son of a bitch. Where are you? And the camera zooms in. It's this dramatic zoom on his face. Well, then Mary, Mary finally gets to do something because she grabs the knife and runs into the room. Like she's really going to do something. Mary is ter- thinks she's going to be a badass. And then the screen is f- covered for like a random couple frames. You suddenly get this weird like overlay filter effect of that. It's similar to that kind of brown shit effect from earlier where all of a sudden while she's running, it goes like this dark red. Uh, and then all of a sudden she's, she's in the room and she's quartered by the killer and they have like this big showdown where she's like, no, no, no. And he's hammering at her. <laughs> and Chuck's trying to bust the door open, but it won't open. There's something in front of it. Finally it does. They get in and the killer is stabbing Mary we see like the killer stabbing Mary but then it cuts back and all of a sudden it's a little boy okay Troy I have to say right now I have I have no fucking idea a single line of dialogue that this child said <laughs> I don't I, can, you, can you decipher this for me no no I cannot I have the exact I've same subtitles I tr- and nothing came up I could not understand what this kid said by any means this poor kid. This. <laughs> I I have no idea. This had to have been Ted Pryor's like nephew or maybe like a neighbor's kid that he promised could be in a movie. He has like a full like he has like two lines that he delivers and they're literally like. <laughs> and then Joni fucking says something. He's like. somehow fucking Jody's the only one that's still going at this point but she i I, i'm gathering he's saying something about i his mother because she Jody's like that's not your mother and he's like it is it's inaudible it sounds like the teacher from charlie brown is giving a soliloquy like it is so impossible to understand. And this little kid, even with the mask on, looks just so uncomfortable. Oh my God. And he like, he has a few minor actions and they're so like awkward and wooden and stilted. Uh, well, yeah, Chuck, cause Chuck goes over to him and he's like, give me that knife, you little bastard. And grabs a knife from him and this, and reaches to try to take his mask off. And this is when one of the 
you know, actions this kid has to do. He has to hit Chuck in the face. And so he like swings really awkwardly. And this is a little eight year old kid hits this full grown bodybuilder guy in the face. And Chuck like flails over like fucking Muhammad Ali just punched him. Oh my God. This whole sequence is, (sighs) well, first of all, it's slow. Like, let's be clear. Like the slow motion has not let up. But, like, you got this big showdown. You know that the director slash star of the movie was like, this is my big moment. I want it big. And so while he's having this big battle with the with the killer, Joni manages to take off running into the house. He throws her out of the room just before going into battle, and she's at the door. She's, like, pounding on the door, like, no, Chuck, no. But finally she gives up. She She takes off running, and we are given... I consider it an assault on my senses, a barrage of slow motion fighting sequences. Uh, The whole fighting sequence should be about three minutes long and it's stretched to about 13. Uh, Literally, basically every single other shot is slow motion at this point. Joni screaming is in slow motion, finding bodies, discovering people dead. That's in slow motion. Uh, Plugging cords into outlets is done in slow motion everything yeah well the killer has yeah the killer once mary or once uh joni's kicked out of the room the killer does turn back into like the full grown man so him and chuck are trying to fight but now the killer like knocks chuck out and is going after joni there's a couple of chase scenes like where he is chasing her down the hallway she finds joey's body again but it's in a different room now because she already found Joey's body once and it was upstairs. Now she's downstairs and she finds his body again. Yeah, it, it is so fucking weird. Unless she forgot and just ran into him no, again. No, this is a different room because they, she found him upstairs. This is a, She's downstairs now because this is a room right by the kitchen. Anyway, so she he chases Joni. She goes into a room and does something with a bed sheet. I'm not sure exactly what. But as the killer comes in, she like jumps out and bat, beats him with a baseball bat multiple times in slow motion. It does nothing because he comes after her again. She goes into a different room and I'm sorry. I don't think this bitch is that smart, but she gets an electrical cord and ties it around the door handle and plugs it in so that when he grabs the door handle from the outside, it electrocutes him. Yeah. Thank God this killer opens doors so fucking slow because she has so much time to like, go from room to room and plot little like things. And it's, this looks, it looks so ridiculous. Like you it's just so ridiculous. And his hand starts bleeding, but he's still not dead. He goes into the room and he also all of a sudden has really bad aim because he can't hit her. She's right in front of him, but she, instead he misses and hits this TV. It's like, I feel like they found this old TV out in the trash somewhere. And they're like, Hey, Hey, grab that. That's going to look cool. If we can break it for the movie. I honestly think Troy, that the, this movie was literally conceived by someone saying, you know, it'd look really cool. If someone took a sledgehammer to a TV on a, in, in a kill scene and then he fucking hit the TV and the TV blew up. And I feel like everything in the story was built around that single shot because even in their promotional material, it's like sledgehammer. And then it fucking hits the television that's what it feels like. It's it's th- this whole thing is just nonsense. She's running room to room, screaming at the top of her lungs like a fucking banshee, going through drawers looking for weapons, and like 
bitch, shut the fuck up. And she keeps going back upstairs. And then she goes downstairs again. And instead of just leaving, like, leave the leave right away like she keeps just going room to room arming herself weakly meekly defending herself like this girl's a fucking idiot yeah that's my big no why did she not leave the house and run run there's a road who cares if it's dark run but she doesn't she goes to the kitchen and literally spends roger five minutes there's a literal a five minute scene of her going through all of the kitchen drawers, the kitchen cabinets until the killer comes in because he can certainly hear her dumbass throwing the fucking pots and pans around in the kitchen. She does hit him in the chest with a meat cleaver. It still doesn't do anything to him. He chases her into the living room and she falls and she's like backing away. No, no, don't please don't. And right when he's going to fucking bash her in the head with the hammer shirtless Chuck who minutes ago had a shirt on, <laughs> but now he's shirtless. I, I guess after you, you wake up after being knocked out, the first thing you think about is, Hey, I'm going to take my shirt off to go fight this guy. But he comes and like starts beating the shit out of the killer in slow motion, in slow motion. They struggle. He takes him through a door, busts through a door, finally gets the sledgehammer. And we get this shot from the killer's perspective, looking out through the eyes of the mask as Chuck bashes him in the face with the sledgehammer. And this blow to the face with the sledgehammer, like not only is his face destroyed, his face apparently seems to melt. Like, I mean, like the amount of damage this single blow from the sledgehammer does to this apparently supernatural entity, it is surprising to say the least i did not expect it to be this easy but yep it's one blow to the face and he is down and his face is mush so i'm assuming you know the supernatural element that the only way you could kill this killer was to use his sledgehammer the weapon that he used apparently i mean they made that very like simple like, they made it pretty fucking easy at the end of the day. And guys, I just want to make it clear, like, we really glossed over, I think I've tried to express, but at the end of the day, I still think we have glossed over just how much slow motion has taken place over the course of this film. I mean, there is a whole baseball bat sequence, like, I think we talked about it a little bit, where Jody gets a baseball bat and proceeds to just beat the killer with this baseball bat. That's it all in slow motion. This whole show, shirtless showdown where Chuck shows up without a shirt on, it's all in slow motion. It's all in slow motion. And um, I mean, if I never see another slow motion sequence again, it won't be soon enough. I wonder why they thought that was a good idea. Like, I always, I often wonder this, but do these filmmakers like not watch their, their movies back? I cannot imagine like after they cut this together. You know, the way it is now, and they all sat around watching this, that they were like, yeah, this is fucking awesome, man. Wow, we really did something. Wow, this is intense. This loud, glaring, blaring score. God, Ted. slow motion scenes. Yeah. Ted, you were fucking right. This slow motion makes it so fucking suspenseful, dude. I just, I can't. I'm going to have to jack you off in your car later. <laughs> Although they got it on Shutter, Roger, so... They did somehow, some way. Yeah, they did. They did. So yeah, this kills him, and then we get another slow motion scene of Chuck carrying Joni 
out of the house. They finally leave the house. And as they're leaving, we get a final shot of the upstairs window. (gasps) And guess who's looking out? That little boy. The little boy. The child. And it's the end. Fuck that child. Not real. I don't, I mean, no, not fuck that child, but like, that, like, you know, fuck that child, like, he can go fuck himself. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, I know. What you're but that's the end. That's the end. So Chuck and Joni survive, and that's, that's Sledgehammer. That, I mean, the end is literally him just carrying a slightly wounded Joni out of the house, and it's like, just leave her. I would have just, just left Fucking her. leave her. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. So we are. Sledgehammer, Roger, what'd you think? I mean, Troy, I what is there to fucking say? It's everything you, you preached and more. And, oh, I, listen, if you want to watch a movie that's just intentionally very, very bad, like you want to go into a movie knowing it's going to be a very poorly done film, this is the movie for you. Like, that's my only pitch with Sledgehammer. If you want to meet, see a movie so bad that like you're not going to be able to help but make fun of it. Yeah. By all means, treat yourself to sledgehammer. But if you're somebody who's looking for I don't know, something that's real, <laughs> like a real movie, like anything, if you want to see something that feels even remotely like a real film, don't watch this movie. <laughs> like it is it is absurd that this film is still in circulation. I mean, I that's I can't say much about it. I, I saw it on Shutter and I thought, oh my God, we have to cover this because it is so absurd. Make no mistakes, folks. This is not a good movie. It is, it's very amateurish. And yeah, it could be a tough, tough watch. It's not going to be for everybody, but there are a certain sector of people that I think could put it on and just have a laugh at it because it is so bad there's not one competent thing done in this film nothing acting plot dialogue set design everything is terrible it is literally one of the worst films i've probably ever seen with that said i mean they got it on shutter and you know that gives me hope that maybe someday mrs claus or teacher shortage can be on shutter <laughs> I mean, yeah, this gives me so much hope in myself as a filmmaker in general. I can't even begin to explain just how bad this is. Because Shudder, you know, it it surprises me because Shudder generally prides itself on like its quality curation, right? And when I saw this pop up, I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Why? Why would Shudder obtain this and put it on their platform you know, and maybe they tried to clean it up a bit, but the quality is still awful. I just can't imagine, like, I just can imagine, like, people that subscribe to Shutter stumbling across this and trying to watch it. I want to know, like, how many times it's been shut off. Like, I wish I could get into Shutter's stats and figure out how many times people started this movie and, like, shut it off after, like, five minutes. Oh, my God. I bet you it's a lot. I think people must turn this on and think it's like a practical joke or something like. I guess it's big claim to fame is that it's one of the very first shot on video films to make it to video stores. And maybe that's why Shudder, you know, obtained it. And I, like you said, they even mentioned it in their description. 
And they're even, you know, they're even kind of, you know, they kind of give it a slight underhanded jab when they're like, it is literally unlike anything you will ever see. Ain't that the fucking truth. But hey, fuck, if this can get on Shutter, they can have, get Mrs. Claus on there. Shutter, you can have it for free. I won't ask for any residuals. Come on. This is the type of shit that gets on Shutter now? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, come on. My expectations are just a pinch higher, just a little bit higher. I mean, I would just appreciate if the movie looked like it had a budget behind it of any sort. This film looks like it was made for pennies, pennies. It's got one fucking location. It's got nothing but white walls. It's got a really fucking awkward looking killer. The gore is horrible. There's only one sound for the whole score. There's no sound effects. Like it literally, this movie has nothing going for it whatsoever no but we watched it we we battled through it i think i battled through it more than you because i watched it three times and got my notes and everything but it is one that i can proudly say i will never watch again but we will always have it you know archived in our memories because of this episode of dark night of the podcast right episode 55 so there we go that is that is sledgehammer folks yeah, we we somehow fucking managed to get through it. I don't know how. We did. So, and we did it under 2 hours. Yay. So, one of our shorter episodes, uh, which is only actually inappropriate because we should have drugged this episode out in slow motion for 4 hours. But, with that said, Roger, do you want to reveal what our pick for next week is, which is guess what next month is, Roger? February. It's February, Troy. It's a time for romance. It's a time for love. You know what our next episode's going to be? It's your pick. Who is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, it is my pick, Roger. I'm getting... Oh, the time is going by so fast. I'm I like know. Losing track. Our, yeah, so to start out February, folks, we are doing it in style and in theme with the month. Absolutely, absolutely. Lovers. February is the month of lovers. So what better film to cover for our first episode of February than one that's full of love and full of Anna Ferris? Oh, thank God. After this schlock. We are covering the 1999-2000 slasher flick, Lover's Lane. Lover's Lane. A Valentine's themed slasher flick to kick off February. What I better think of a better way? Uh, what better way to kick off February than a killer with a hook for a hand and Anna Ferris in a cheerleader's outfit? I mean, I can't think of a better way, honestly. I think this is exactly how we need to start the romant the most romantic month of all. Um, and I'm sure that we're making our listeners fall in love with us all over again by announcing this title. And if you are following in love with us all over again, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or check out our Patreon, where we will be releasing a our second episode for January very soon, because January is almost over, over the 1990 exotic thriller, Lisa. Yes, Lisa. So that's coming soon on our Patreon. But until then, folks, you can wait patiently on Lover's Lane for us to show up with our next episode. Absolutely. That's where we'll be meeting you, on Lover's Lane. 
Yeah. So until then, folks, I want to be your sledgehammer. Sledgehammer. <laughs> oh, my God. Stick to the fucking podcast, right? right? All right, folks. <laughs> Good night. Good night.